Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us once again to begin another week for the CIO Strategy Snapshot. Glad to have back with us Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend and of course a lot here to catch up on. So looking forward to our conversation. Morning, Daniel. It's good to be here. A lot to discuss after an eventful week. Just to add some context to that, Jason, for our listeners, our clients, just thinking about the market momentum, the market rally to begin 2023. It did continue last week, and this was aided by benefit of central banks getting close to being done with rate hikes, as well as better than expected U.S. economic data. So a lot here to dig into. Maybe we can begin with the first big event of last week, that of course being the Fed meeting, which culminated in a 25 basis points rate hike. But Fed Chairman Jerome Powell's press conference wasn't nearly as hawkish as investors were expecting. And you did discuss this, Jason, in your blog, which was titled Mamba Mentality, was authored last week. So I'm curious, Jason, how do you interpret the outcome of the FOMC meeting as well as its investment implications? Market expectations going into the meeting was for a hawkish 25 basis point rate hike, meaning the Fed would hike 25 basis points, which was clearly what they were guiding to. But then in his press conference, Jay Powell would, you know, sound, you know, you know, the, you know, the, you know make the point that there's still work to be done, that we need, you know, inflation is still too elevated, uh, and be trying aggressive. Um, he really didn't do that. He didn't push back against the market price for rate hikes, which was essentially one more hike after this one, so one in March, and then the Fed would be done. But more specifically, the market is also pricing rate cuts later this year and then a lot next year. So by the end of 2024, the market was pricing in the Fed to cut rates about 200 basis points, you know, beginning by kind of the fourth quarter of this year. Uh, he didn't push back against that. He didn't say the what we laid out in, in the December dot plot was still applicable, meaning we hiked to between five and five and a quarter percent and then keep the Fed funds rate over five percent through year end and only modestly cut next year. So he could have said, like, that's live. This is how you should interpret what we tend to do. We've had a lot of easing of financial conditions the past few months. Of equities have rallied. Bond yields have come down. Credit spreads have tightened uh, uh, quite a bit. He could have pushed back against that, saying this works against the goal of what the Fed wants to achieve in terms of a slowing economy to bring inflation down. And said he, you know, said that he doesn't think it's going to be that impactful. So the net result was interpretation that he was, you know, kind of relatively dovish, certainly versus expectations. Uh, and we can see what happened with the, you know, financial markets really as he was speaking with equities rising, bond yields falling quite a bit, and then kind of further fueling the rally that we saw at least on, on Thursday. So that's sort of what happened. I think if we take a bit of a step back to think about what does this mean in terms of like overall Fed policy and central bank policy. Last year, the market setup was was pretty simple. You had a situation where the Fed was focused on tightening financial conditions in order to slow the economy because inflation was too high and it's still high, and the labor market was still uh, was very tight and it's still quite tight. Um, so when they're focused on tightening financial conditions, that's just a challenge for financial markets because basically what they're saying is we want stock prices to to come down, we want credit spreads to widen, we want rates to go higher. So it makes for a difficult and volatile investment environment. By not pushing back against easing the financial conditions we've seen, uh, unlike what he did back in uh, in the Jackson Hole speech at the end of uh, August, and also when the Fed was pretty aggressive in raising its rate forecast at the September FOMC meeting, by not doing that, they kind of acquiesced to the easing of foreign. It's sort of like a tacit approval that this is okay. So that market 
in place last year where the Fed was kind of working against you, don't fight the Fed. That regime is no longer the case, at least for the time being. It doesn't mean the Fed is investor friendly, but it certainly takes away significant headwinds to the markets. I think that's that's probably a process that is going underway for, for not just last week's FOMC meeting, but really for the past couple of months, because you've seen Fed officials not push back against what's been happening in the market, sort of dialing down sort of their, their guidance in terms of the number of rate hikes. So a lot of focus on when we get a Fed pivot this year. It may be at least until, you know, certainly until March, probably until maybe May now that we would get the Fed positive rate hikes. But from a practical matter, the Fed is willing to allow financial conditions to ease. In some way, they've already kind of pivoted or policy, monetary policy is already to some extent inflected from a tiny pass to at least something that's a little bit more neutral overall. And that's a pretty big kind of shift in the, in the market environment. Whether that can change, and Jay Powell's given a speech on Tuesday where he tries to sort of alter some of his communication. You know, you know, time will tell. Um, but I think the market's going to be kind of skeptical on that, given what they've, they've had different chances and they haven't kind of pushed back. So I think big picture, that's a pretty significant change, uh, really about a market environment that, that's existed for the past 12 months. We'll see what comes tomorrow, Tuesday, with respect to the communication coming from Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. But last week, certainly interesting developments, just knowing how influential over the past year the Fed has been to market momentum. I do want to spend a few moments on recent economic data. It, it was funny, Jason, on Friday I had to do a double take on my screen because that January jobs report blowout numbers, very historic historical, which we received on Friday morning. And then just 90 minutes later, the ISM services data we received jumped to December levels. So Jason, when you look at recent economic data, what does it say about the soft landing recession debate? Well, it would suggest that uh, at least uh, the fears of recession anytime soon, you know, are, are overstated. Uh, yeah, the jobs number, as you mentioned, was far in excess of even the most optimistic forecast among, you know, economists who are kind of submitting expectations. Uh, and by magnitude, I think that's only been maxed maybe once in the past 25 years. Once you strip out the volatility that took place in the first year or so of the pandemic, when you just had massive swings in, in, in the labor market, it was just really difficult to predict. So it was an incredibly strong report. There was also uptick in the number of hours worked per week. So it was kind of across the board, you know, positive story in terms of labor inputs and how much labor supply is out there. Um, at the same time, the you know average hourly earnings kind of ticked down a little bit, again, consistent with a general downward trend of, of wage growth. So some way, you know, you couldn't get kind of get a, a more spectacular jobs report. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, 90 minutes after that came out, we got the ISM services, which completely reversed the downtick that we saw for the December data that we got in early January. Services part of the economy has been holding up well. It's the good part that had been definitely slow. And that's, you know, arguably it's not a recession, but certainly in, in that area, certainly for the manufacturing side of the economy. But services have been holding up well. Then we got the December reading. Well, suddenly the ISM services went from a 55-56 reading, which is comfortably in expansion territory, to slightly below 50, which is now in contraction territory, which was a big surprise because there was nothing really kind of leading up to that. Friday's data showed we're back up to that 55-56 range. New orders for services, ISM services were back over 60, which is really strong. So you almost have to look at that December data and say, well, that was an anomaly. So you have strong labor market growth. You have strong services sector which is 70% of the economy. It's hard to see the economy right now kind of slowing down and kind of tipping into recession. If you actually then also look at the data, like actual economic activity, hard activity in terms of labor inputs, industrial production, factory orders, things of that sort, and not just sentiment surveys, the hard activity has been holding up well. 
what's really deterred it the most is sentiment surveys, you know, like, you know, the ISM survey, you know, consumer confidence surveys. Those are the ones where we've seen kind of, you know, bigger weakness. Um, but if you actually ask people what they're doing, it looks much better than what they're actually, you know, they're saying they're doing. Then if you also look historically to think, well, when you have this kind of economic momentum, it's rare that things sort of turn on a dime, meaning the economy cools significantly. From these kind of job growth numbers, it usually takes at least six months before you get into job growth getting to be zero or negative, which is associated with a recession. And jobless claims have also been ticking lower continuously for the past few weeks to levels that we haven't seen since you know, back in, in April of last year, like around nine months ago. Typically, you see unemployment claims ticking up 12 to 18 months before a recession starts to a level that's almost doubled up where we are right now. That's not happening. So all of this looks like at least the recession time, and if we get a recession, it's kind of pushed further out well into the second half of this year, if not beyond. Um, that means right now, for the time being, we are, even with the Fed hiking, kind of in a soft landing sort of territory. Because at some point, if you're talking about when we got a soft landing in 2024, it's already something that's happened. Then it's a question like, well, then, it, you know, does the economy ultimately kind of tip into recession? So this is all kind of you know, positive news. It sort of tilts, you know, more probability to sort of a soft landing type of situation. Certainly good news in the short term, but it's not necessarily great news for long term. It means the economy isn't slowing down or cooling enough from the Fed's perspective. Interesting considerations there, Jason, when you say good for the short term, though maybe not necessarily good for the longer term. But clearly markets at the moment digesting a lot of positive news with prospective Fed policy as well as growth. I'm curious, Jason, what would you say are the consequences just given that on the distribution of macro outcomes for 2023? Well, if we look at the developments this year, and specifically what happened last week with the Fed and the other economic data, what I'd say is the distribution of macro outcomes, like let's talk kind of, you know, growth, recession, and things of that sort, uh, the tails of the distribution are fatter than we would have thought just a week ago, meaning the upside scenario of a really soft landing, like things go really well. I think that probability has gone up incrementally or marginally. On the other end of the spectrum, the risk of a hard landing, something more severe, kind of counterintuitively, that probability is also probably going up a little bit uh, as well. And so the overall distribution, I'd say, has kind of gotten a little bit flatter as we kind of you know, put out more probability um, you know, to the full range of outcomes. And there's a couple of reasons why I say that. One is just if you look at the data, we've seen incredible volatility and also uncertainty. So while the jobs number for January was spectacular, it's also kind of a bit of a head-scratcher. How could forecasters be that far off? How can you have people expecting 200,000? maybe a little bit of a seasonal adjustment, but to get 500,000 is means something is really kind of off there. And then you get the ISM services where now you look at the December data and say, well, what was going on there? Was that just a complete anomaly? Was it reflective of people going into the holidays and choosing not to respond to these survey requests? So you have a lot of volatility and noisiness in data. And so what we have after Friday's report, the U.S. economy is in good shape. We could also get data in the next couple of weeks or next month that kind of undoes some of this strength as well. So I think there's just, just the lack of certainty that we can have on the quality data just means the overall confidence that we can have on the outcomes is lower, which means the distribution has to be a little bit kind of flatter and wider than, than we would have thought otherwise. Uh, but the second thing is, if you think of it about you know, more probability in the soft landing, I think the case for that is, is kind of pretty obvious with the growth data holding up better. It's, we're also seeing inflation you know, come down you know, for a number of months now, and that looks like it's going to continue at least for the next few months. So a soft landing to the area certainly becomes more plausible, you know. But there's also a, you know a risk that we don't kind of get the cooling that we need. Um, inflation is falling, but it could also plateau at a level well above the Fed's two percent target, especially core inflation. 
And this is going to happen if the labor market doesn't cool. If wage growth still stays elevated around 4.5%, it's hard for inflation to draw, drop um, you know, much below 4% itself. So in what we think of it sort of as year inflections, you know, the thought is that inflation was going to fall and then maybe kind of inflect to like a low level around you know, 2% and sort of stay there you know, by if not the end of this year into next year. There's a risk that it kind of inflects plateaus around 4% and the economy holds up and starts to reaccelerate and inflation then actually inflects higher, not lower. And that fuels the possibility that while the Fed could pause after hiking in March and maybe in May, it, things will be such that instead of being able to cut by the end of this year or next year, they might actually have to raise rates. They might have to restart because things aren't cooling down. If that happens, then you get the risk of, well, now you have to hard, really have a hard landing because the Fed has to get very aggressive to kind of cool things down. Um, so the timing of this is probably much later this year or even into next year. But I think that's the possibility that all this resiliency in the U.S. economy, if it means that inflation doesn't come down sufficiently, it means the Fed has to do a lot more than maybe the market is currently pricing, and that can ultimately lead to a harder landing at some point in time. So, you know, ironically, the good news is good, but it also has knock-on consequences that if inflation doesn't play out as investors assuming and been pricing for, um, and, and we'll start to find out just on, on the 14th when we get January data, there is a risk that things are actually going to end up being you know, more difficult and more challenging than, than we assumed. How does this translate to CIO's investment outlook from here, given that risk? So I think you, you mentioned like, you know, maybe a little bit more risk later on. So what we saw last week is volatility in equity markets declined, volatility in rates markets, which has been very elevated, you know, been declining sharply this year. Um, so the trade-off is we, you know, we're getting sort of lower volatility right now, which fuels market rally because investors can kind of you know, tend to add risk as volatility is falling. But if you know, it turns out the Fed has to do more than expected, or if the data is not quite as good as expected, either growth isn't quite as strong or as inflation is going to be hotter than expected, that can lead to more volatility later on. In the time being, though, the markets are pricing for the soft landing scenario. You can see it in equity markets rallying uh, quite a bit. Credit spreads have tightened you know, aggressively. I think with the rates market, we're pricing more of a recession scenario. Assuming inflation will fall significantly, you get a recession, the Fed can cut rates significantly. Usually when you have a divergence between, say, equities pricing, soft landing, rates you know, pricing, recession, that they have to converge. And it depends on which one has to move more. Right now, it's more likely rates are going to move in that general direction, kind of pricing more along the lines of the Fed hiking to what it's saying it's doing and maybe a little less aggressive in terms of what the market is assuming, you're kind of cutting you know, rates overall. Uh, so that's a lot of good news instead of being priced in. It also means valuations aren't particularly attractive. The forward multiple on the S&P 500 is over 18. The long-term average is 16. Credit spreads are pricing you know, relatively low you know, default risk. And so if you get any kind of real sort of you know, more significant slowdown, especially if you get a recession, high yield credit spreads, instead of being 425 basis points, should be well over 600. So the risk reward there is not particularly attractive at this, these levels. Uh, you know, but at the time being, momentum is, is certainly kind of a factor. Technical flows are a factor. You know, questions we're getting is like, you know, invest our investors and clients, you know, want to get into the markets. I think, but the question is, you know, what do they do at this point in time, you know, given how much things have moved? So really the messages that we've had for this year, I think still apply. Um, even though the markets, you know, we've had a little more cautious, you know, the markets to start, given how much things have moved, it had, that hasn't played out. But it, it's also the risk reward hasn't really improved. If anything, it's gotten worse. So I think you still need to kind of go up in quality with the fixed income. You don't need to take a lot of risk to get some income at this point in time. I think still tilt towards, you know, kind of higher quality assets, more broadly speaking. Some of the rally we've seen in equity markets are in, you know, the junkier parts of the market, you know, more cyclical parts of the market, on a lot of optimism. 
also fueled by short covering you know, investors buying single names again. So more on technicals necessarily than better fundamentals. Um, and if you even look at earnings, you know, it's been maybe a little bit better than feared. At the same time, earnings going into the season were cut by you know, 8% expectations. And it's been one of the weakest beats in terms of a quarter that we've had in a while. And even for some of the big tech companies that reported last week, the underlying story isn't great. So I think there's, there's, you know, the disconnect between what is a fundamental picture, at least for earnings versus what the market is producing right now is there's a kind of gap there. So where we sort of want to, you know, position for is maybe be selective in how you add cyclical exposure. Where is the fundamental story stronger? So we still like, you know, EM. We like sort of how it's played out onto China, you know, notwithstanding the, the political developments over the weekend with the, you know, the Chinese, uh, the U.S. government shooting down this Chinese balloon. You know, China's reopening is just beginning. They're just kind of coming back from Chinese New Year. We know from our reopening after COVID, it, you know, the, the tailwind from that for the markets, it takes it's months. It's not just a couple of weeks. So even there's already been a big move, the, the fundamental justification for that feels like there's more, there's more sort of momentum to go there. And recently, U.S. markets have been outperforming, you know, EM in China in the past couple of weeks. It's likely that's going to reverse at some point in time. So I think that's something to kind of keep in mind if you're looking like, where have I missed out on this rally? If you're probably under-allocated to EM, I think this is not a bad time. Let's on a relative basis to add some exposure, especially given how much U.S. markets have moved already. Uh, and the last point I make on that is, is commodities. We've seen oil prices come down, which is sort of counterintuitive in a, an environment where you expect global growth to be really strong. The fundamentals for oil and for commodities in general still remains attractive because supply is constrained, not a lot of inventory, not a lot of spare capacity. Yet if the global economy does soft land, that means commodity prices should go higher. So the risk reward there looks attractive given their underperformance this year versus equities it's become far less attractive and almost to some extent unattractive at these current levels uh, given the strong start we've had to the year. Well, with that in mind, Jason, it's very helpful to hear CIO's current thinking and factoring in as well the developments from last week with respect to uh, the Fed policy announcement, that jobs data, other macro releases, helpful to hear about CIO's thoughts on the market currently and uh, what the next few months might have in store as well and, of course, how to think about positioning accordingly. So, Jason, great conversation to begin yet another week here. Looking forward to tracking these events over the next couple of days and regrouping with you on the snapshot next Monday. You're welcome and have a great weekend. Likewise. Thank you, Jason. And again, today we have been joined by Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas, Jason Dreho from the UBS Chief Investment Office. I will point out the blog which Jason had referenced, Mamba Mentality, is now available for your reference up on UBS.com slash CIO. Of course, for clients of UBS, please reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment 
investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.